It's Bronan Perzinski for a Legends Territory. And if you like what you're seeing, if you're watching on YouTube, you can also listen to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And for more info on your favorite former players from the MLBPAA, go to baseballalumni.com. Let's bring in our next guest. 12 years in the bigs, part of some really strong Philadelphia Phillies team, including their last World Series championship in 2008. Brett Myers joins us right now. Brett, great to see you, man. How's life? What good are you, to see up you guys? To? It's good. Just chasing kids, man. I'm sure AJ can uh, attest to that. We're just trying to get our kids ready to play ball. And thank goodness they still play for me because it keeps me around the game. I'd probably go crazy if I wouldn't. They weren't playing. So, do you do you want to be involved in the game? Like, I guess, and depending on where your kids are, um, I know you you want to spend some dad time. But would you want to be, you know? a coach or involved at all with an organization? Yeah, I think, you know, some, some probably down the road or whatever like that. But I mean, I got a 12 and 13 year old behind my, you know, my senior this year. So it's kind of like I'm in between, like I, I want to do it, but at the same time, does, how much does that take away from them and how much time can I actually spend with them to work with them? And, you know, they don't, AJ could probably tell you this, they don't listen to us at past a certain age anyway. For sure. For sure. Listen, it happens. Your dad. Oh, yeah. dad, what do you know about baseball? You didn't ever do it. <laughs> yeah. okay. I played till yeah, I was my... 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. My kids always tell me I stink. But th then again, my two younger ones weren't around. They were, they were probably two and three when I when I retired and everything. So uh, the oldest boy knows a little bit more about it. But he's at that point where he doesn't listen to me anyway. I, actually... He's gonna. He's headed out to the cage now to work with Travis Chapman, the first base coach with the Yankees. So, and I, I grew up with Travis, so um, he's gonna come over and work with him a little bit. So, because I can't tell him anything that he'll listen to anymore. So, whatever I can get him to help him along his path. You gotta run back some dig me video. You gotta. You gotta have the highlights ready to go <laughs> well, on the phone. I think he, hitting wise, no, it, but <laughs> oh come on now! Like I'm, I, I hit 800 in the playoffs in 08. So. Um, I do show that he laughs at me because it was terrible. I mean, I got, I hit, went four for five with like three RBIs and I couldn't tell you how the hell I did it at all. Like, I mean, I used to be a pretty good hitter in high school, but I guess most of us were, you know, but when they start throwing that 95 on the corner with some movement and stuff, it's a little different. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm lucky if I can bunt this stuff. You know, it's gone now, but that was the, the only fun part for me was, when you would have games like that, because people are standing up, sometimes it's almost like sarcastic, depending on who the pitcher is. And then all of a sudden, you know, a pitcher has a three or four hit game. I mean, four hit game, you would never yeah. see towards the end because they weren't in the game yeah. long enough. But that is crazy, man. Well, some of the some of the guys, like some pitchers were really good hitters back then. I was just fortunate enough to just try to slap the ball the other way and maybe have something fall in, you know, I, I mean, I would take big, big cuts, but it just looked pretty. It, it wasn't uh there was no results after that. Good five hey, o'clock hitter. I guess I would say. Listen, Brett can't, he, he can't be involved in baseball, dude. He's, he's Mr. Country music star now. Right? He's got oh, albums out now. He, yeah. You know, he plays guitar. He played guitar when we played together, but now you've yeah. got albums out. Tell me about your albums and when do I get an autographed copy of one? <laughs> well, uh, I don't think that we had hard copies. You have to come to a show, but uh, the hard copies are, it's too hard to, I guess, you know, try to mail the stuff out, sell it and stuff like that, but you can get it all online, you know, you know, off of iTunes or whatever like that. So I probably, I started that when I got done playing, I, I just kind of enjoyed like writing songs and stuff like that. And then I'd never planned on singing any of this stuff because, um, but then I kind of got forced into doing it. We wrote the song producers, like get in there and sing it. Took him, took me two weeks. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to do that, man. Like, I don't even want my name attached to it. I wanted us to call us like some other kind of band and, and, um, He's like, well, we can't market it if your name's not on it. And I'm like, well, I'm nobody type of thing. So uh, the first song we did, I actually he invited me over. and He's like having some people over and he goes, let's have some drinks or whatever. I was probably seven, eight beers deep like most people. And then they, they get the balls to get up there and start singing and everything. So that's kind of how the whole thing started. I didn't know what the hell I was doing um, other than, you know, just writing the lyrics and stuff like that. But this, the singing part was not in the plans, I can tell you that. But it it. It, I got more comfortable with it, like anything you do. If you start practicing, and you get better at it. So, became I, I needed less beers each album. I guess I would say, like the first album, <laughs> I was I was I was probably seven eight beers deep every song I went in there and sang. So, 
<laughs> Less liquid courage now. You can well, just do well, it. We need, we need yeah. something. We need like, we need something now. We need like a little riff. Little riff here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything here with me, man. You can't just sing like acapella. Like, let's go. No. Bust out a, come on. Did you not? Did you? Did you not just hear what I said? I need at least seven, eight beers at least to do yeah, this live exactly. too. You know what I mean? When we when we do when we do live shows, man, I, I'm definitely seven, eight beers deep before I get up there. It's just, it's nerve wracking, man. Like people ask me, you know, like you could pitch in front of forty thousand people, no problem. I was like, yeah, but I've been doing that since I was five years old, like playing baseball. It's not like like I just jump into the singing stuff, and they're like, oh, let's play a live show. Well, I said I'll only play a live show if I play an arena. When I was I was kidding, obviously, because I knew that would never happen. Well, my first live show was in the Jacksonville uh, arena at a halftime show for the Jacksonville Sharks. So I kind of stuck my foot in my mouth and ended up having to play a live show. And granted, it was only two songs, but I, I mean, I probably like you. I write the songs and stuff, but you still kind of have to be on time and remember them and everything. So it's a uh, it's it's very nerve wracking, but it becomes fun then it gives you kind of gave me that um i guess i'd say the adrenaline rush again kind of playing and performing and stuff like that so but yeah it's it's been a it's been a wild ride it's pretty cool that i've uh, worked with some pretty big people in the industry too just from my standpoint so it's pretty cool that was going to be my next question. So I'm sitting next to one of the biggest name droppers in the biz. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. mayor of Orlando sitting next to me. Yeah. So not true. So not true. Every week. So oh, I'm going golfing with name that actor, name that <laughs> famous athlete. So you can, you can kind of kick it back a little bit here to AJ. Cause I'm sure you've uh, been getting some help, especially on the music career with some pretty famous yeah. friends. Yeah, I've, I've uh, done some songs and stuff with Colt Ford, and, and then um, I did a song with uh, Leonard Skinner, uh, lead singer Johnny Van Zant on my last album, which was pretty cool. Um, very intimidating, though, um, when you have to get in front of a microphone and try to sing in front of this guy that's done it his whole life, and he has the Van Zant uh, last name, and his brother was the, the started Leonard Skinner and stuff. So it's kind of like I'm sitting in front of uh, Johnny Van Zant and Donnie Van Zant with 38 special and i'm they're like all right go ahead and sing it and i'm like could y'all leave you know like uh i don't <laughs> like because i'm gonna screw up and i just don't I, like i feel like you know most people with this the these lead singer stuff they just banging out in one take you would think man but it's it's a process with some like the tone they try to get and everything like that and i didn't want to take up too much of their time so i didn't want to be in there like yeah that stinks let me do it again and keep doing it over and over but but um but yeah, so that was very intimidating for me to have to get in front of those guys. And, and the songwriting part was easy with them. That just came naturally. But they're like, all right, there's the mic, sing it. And I'm like, oh, man. It's kind of like AJ just put me on the spot to try to get me to sing right there. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not going to ha- that's That's not happening, man. It just, it just, uh, it takes a little lubrication before you get going and feel yeah, comfortable. Yeah, we'd have to we'd it. have to dip into the cabin. Yeah, let's say you. turn around and That's shut right. a freaking rip a yeah. shot. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's a little early. It's a little early. It is. It is. Um, do any of the names that you just mentioned did did they kind of flip it back to you at all? Like, hey, this should be easy for you. You know, like you mentioned, you've you've been in front of a ton of people with pressure where right. you don't get to redo anything, right? You don't get another take. I mean, right. you get another pitch, yeah. but like you fuck up, right. you fuck up in baseball. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm in. Like, I guess that was like the biggest fear for me is just like, um, like not wanting to suck or, or fuck it up or whatever, you know, but, um, and, and when you play live shows, it's like that, like you have to be on, I mean, you, people can tell you, you've probably, you've been to concerts before. You can kind of tell when somebody's not on the right track and everything like that of the song that you normally hear. I mean, shoot, I've done it, but, and, um, it's just, that's the most nerve wracking part about it. Messing that part up. Now the studio stuff, you can click and delete and, and redo it if you want to, but live shows are, are crazy man but like i said a couple shots of whiskey and about seven beers i'm good to go (laughs) i did get in trouble for throwing beers uh into the crowd i think i might have hit somebody one time so i had to stop doing that so (laughs) i was was trying to i was trying to get them drunk so they didn't have to listen really pay attention to what i was really doing so maybe they sounded better when it sounds better when i'm drunk listening to it you know what i mean so, but here's the problem, okay? Because I can tell you from like a normal person perspective, you know, a, a full can of beer 
coming from the hand of someone who's able to throw <laughs> yeah. a baseball way, way harder than just about any human being on the planet, you, you probably sometimes don't realize the strength. We, we asked a pitcher this on one of our shows one time, and he had a great answer. I think he was like playing catch with his kid. And he's throwing too hard to them, right? Is that ringing oh, yeah, a bell? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like you don't realize how uh, hard you throw compared to anyone else that well, you're around. I under I underhanded it, so I told them it was coming, so they could see it. You know, I just didn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, you get excited up there sometimes, and I like my bass player, who's my producer, and, and he he goes, uh, "Yeah, I don't think I would do that anymore, man. You just hit that guy right in the face." I said, well, what did he do? He goes, he picked it up and chugged it. I said, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I don't know if it's been, it made his face feel better. I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm glad nothing came of that. But I was, I was, man, I was like, I was like, yeah, I better stop doing that. And plus, that leaves me less beer. But I was, you know, you try to get the crowd interacting and share a beer with them, type of thing, man. And, and, uh, and it, uh, I can't do that no more. So, <laughs> Brett, Brett, what's more nerve wracking when you were pitching in Philly, and those fans were, you know, they, they come for you. Or when you yeah, take yeah. that stage and you have to sing your songs and not fuck up the words. Yeah, I would say uh, I could deal with the fans in Philly better than than fucking up the words, man. <laughs> I just, like I don't know, man. I like I'm telling you, I I don't think I could get up there without any beers in me and not be like relaxed, you know, and do it. I mean, even though we rehearsed for probably. I'm just afraid of anything like messing up, like the mic going out or my ears not working to where I can't hear the the you know the band playing and stuff like that. I guess that's the the biggest fear of something going wrong, which has done it before, and it's just kind of like I hear nothing and I got to pull the ears out and try to be on time with that and and um and and sometimes it doesn't sound exactly like the album does type of thing. So so you're kind of like trying to be right in the pocket so it doesn't so it doesn't suck and um that so i would say that's probably a little bit more nerve-wracking hoping that nothing goes wrong um i guess i would say that that just um you know because basically you can get one show it's like singing the national anthem if you fuck that up dude you're done like you're if you are a musician your career's over that's, right, that's just gonna the way i look at it yeah yeah they're gonna right show forever. like you're just you're that's done it. man so like so you don't want, I don't, I guess that's one of my fears of like not being able to go out there and put on the best show I can, you know, even though we, we've had, you know, technical difficulties before, I'm sure y'all deal with it with this show sometimes. So, mm -hmm. so just, that's, that's the scariest part. So, <laughs> and so when you're live, I, that's the scariest part. So, yeah, but I mean, you did that obviously flipping back to the pitching side then, and you did it as a starter and you did it coming out of the bullpen. Did you have anything that you did to make sure that you felt like you were in a good spot or eventually it was just like, whatever, it's clockwork, I've been in the league forever. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you do to try to break the, break the, um, you know, the, if you string a bad luck or not playing well or something like that. I mean, there's been times where I would drink a couple beers before I'd go out there and pitch just to, just to, you know, lock it in or something, whatever that I've done. I've done that before, but, um, it was, I guess it was more of a, um, like trying to find a routine. And, and then when I, when I realized, I guess later in my career is like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you get your work in the week prior of starting or whatnot. And then as a closer, man, it's like, you don't know when you're going to pitch. So you're going to have some beers every night instead of like, I guess when I was younger, I was like, I had a two day rule where I wouldn't drink two days prior to pitching. And then, that went out the window at the older I got because I was like, I don't care. Like, like I, it's, that's not going to affect the way it, either I'm going to be good or I'm going to have to battle through it or I'm going to suck. There's only three options that were going to happen. So, it, and I, I put too much, I guess, uh, thought process into the routine, I guess the, the week leading up to the start, the four days leading up to the start. Like if I, I wanted to, if I had a good one, I want to do exactly what I did the last time. And then I was like, well, that didn't work. Cause it's like good one, then bad one. So the routine stuff, it kind of messed fuck with you a little bit mentally. And then when you just say, screw it, I guess, and just kept the same routine and, and kept getting, just saying, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And that's kind of how I, I felt like I got better later in my career with that, with that stuff, just the mental stuff of it. Did you have people to turn to like who stood out when you, think back like were there guys that you went to and said hey like how do you stay so consistent or you know what uh, do you no, think they, I should do? 
I get when I was when I wasn't going good, I was probably too big of an asshole to even talk to anybody. I was just trying to figure it out myself, man. I, I uh, um, but I would say like you know watching Cole Hamels uh, when he came up and stuff like that. I remember sitting there talking with him in the clubhouse, and it's about thirty minutes for a game, and we're just we're just shooting the shit or whatever. And then he goes, "Hey, I got to go get ready," and I was like, I didn't even know he was pitching that day. You know, like the days that I would pitch that I would start, I would just be quiet, like the teammates in Philly would be like, Oh, Myers must be pitching. We haven't heard him today. So, so like, so that's kind of how I was. I, I just try to, but I focused too early. So w- watching him those years in Philly, when he crossed those lines, like he was a super competitor, like he was an ass. And then like, when he came into the dugout, he was just like, I was like, how do you turn the switch off like that? Like he, he was just able to turn it on when he crossed the lines and turn it off. And that's, I know there's a lot of guys out there that could do that. I was just not one of those dudes. Like if it was that day that I was going to pitch it, this click. But when I went to the bullpen those couple of times, uh, when I pitched out of the bullpen for those two years, um, that, that I started to learn how when the switch needed to be turned on. Like you could you could see like, all right, how the game was going in the fifth, sixth inning, whether or not you were going to pitch or not. And you kind of started to try to turn the switch on. So I, I would say that, that probably Hamels probably helped me the most with being the starter of – you know, you just didn't. You never knew if he was pitching or if he, or if he wasn't. What do they call that? Method acting, isn't that me- where you just play the person? Well, he was left-handed too, so he's weird. You know, like all <laughs> lefties are weird, so. No, so but you, you just, were method acting. I think if I'm getting the term right, where it's like you have to play the whole like, I'm gonna go kick well, your ass thing the whole day. Yeah. So some starters, yeah. some starters were like Brett. Some were like Cole. There was guys. Yeah. I played with some starters that like you didn't talk to him. Like we've talked to Scherzer plenty of times. He's like, oh my start days, you don't talk to me, right? Yeah. And then Burley was gone when you came to the White Sox, but he didn't give a shit. He'd be like goofing around with you. Like he's he's gonna yeah. warm up in two minutes, and he's in there. Yeah. You know, playing grab ass in the clubhouse with yeah. everybody. And we're like, hey, I'm like, Mark, yep. are, you, are you starting today? He's like, yeah. Well, so what? <laughs> like I'll be ready yeah. when the game starts. Like it just, yeah. it's a different personality for every person. It just depends on how they had to get ready for the game. Right. And I, I, I kind of pitched off of like, I guess, I, I don't know. I always felt like these guys were trying to steal my lunch money or take my girlfriend from me or some shit like that. So I was just like always, you know, like wanting to fight all the time, I guess I would say just a real intense type of player. And I just, I didn't know how to like turn it on and off. Even like when I was away from the field at times, man, like I, I didn't like to be bothered. I felt like if I talked to the wrong person or the wrong fan, I was going to have a bad outing type thing, man. It just, it would. And then, and then later in my career, after I, after 08, uh, I got sent down that year um, when we won the world series. And at, at that point I was just like, fuck it. Like it didn't matter at that point. I'm just going to go and it can't get much worse type of thing, you know? So I was just like, I'm just go, go get them. Yeah, that's some point you have to say that as a player. Yep. It, I, I tell you, I had, I had, well, I had, it was still that way when I crossed the lines, but then, you know, I, I didn't, um, I guess I didn't stress about it as much because it already was worse than it, it could be. You know, you get sent down after you had five years in the big leagues and, and then they go, Hey, we're going to send you down to AAA. And I'm like, I ain't going. Like, I ain't going, but I'm not helping the team here either. I was like, can't you just put me in the bullpen so I don't have to eat peanut butter and jelly down there? But, uh, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, got, you get a little spoiled with it, but I, I had to swallow my pride and just go down there and, and uh, get try to come back and came back and we made a run and won the World Series. And then um, I, I guess I would say after my hip surgery in 09 that I had, um, 2010, I was just like, Fuck it, like whatever. I, I the last I only got one call that off season, two thousand ten. It was with the Astros for a one year deal, and I end up finishing like probably the best year of my career. And I didn't, I literally didn't. I I was like, I don't know what this could be. It this could be the last. It's like the only team that wants me. So so I was just kind of like, well, I just kind of went in there with an open mind and and uh, I said fuck it and. Best best ERA year of my my career and and um, had a great pitching coach that kind of helped me relax with that stuff too and Brad Arnsberg so he was it wasn't like a lot of pressure he kind of did all the work for us career high innings pitch that year too two twenty three and yeah. two thirds so yeah worked out pretty well when when back to you know the time when you said you kind of hit the low point and were sent down 
Did you mm-hmm. actually fight it and be like, no, screw you? Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm oh, going yeah. down. I've been oh, in the yeah. league. It's not like I'm yeah. in, in the league. You know, first year, second year, and and you oh, were yeah. close to being at a point probably where they can't do that. I guess you still had it was. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was there with the uh, five years that I, I didn't have to go. So you know, I called. I called my agent, and I was just. I was just super pissed off, you know, about it. But at the same time, like. That was more of a pride thing, I think, it more than it was a, like, am I really helping the team? Because I know I, it was in Texas, and I went to Charlie after after the game because, I mean, I got I got my shit pushed in, man, pretty good. And I was getting my shit pushed in the whole year pretty much. And um, and I went to Charlie, and I was like, you got to put me back in the bullpen because in 07, I was the closer. So I was really trying to figure out how to start again. And I, was, I, I still wasn't over – um, them trading for Brad Lidge and putting me back in the rotation because I really enjoyed closing. Well, I I kind of told them that offseason that I was better than Lidge. Well, I stuck my foot in my mouth with that one too because he only went 40 for 40 that year. So uh, I didn't <laughs> I, 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 I damn sure wouldn't have been able to do that. So um, I would I would have gave it a shot, but I don't I don't think anybody's going to be able to com- do that again, honestly. Um, but yeah, so. Um, I was still trying to find my way as a, as a starter, back as a starter. But a, as a reliever, like I came in, I just wanted to strike everybody out, you know. And I had the stuff to do that in '07 when you know I was I was younger. And then and then '08, I came back trying to strike everybody out, and and I would go four or five innings with like a hundred pitches. Well, that today that might work, but back then that didn't work, you know. I would the goal was to go six seven to save the bullpen usually, so. When I came back from getting sent down and everything, I was—I just said I'm going to pitch, pitch the contact, try to get these guys out, and not worry about the strikeouts and everything like that. And and it and it worked out for us. But but yeah, for sure, I told them I was pissed off. I'm not going. I talked to the AAA pitching coach, who was one of my guys, and he's like, "Just come down here, man, and we'll get drunk every night or whatever." And I'm like, "All right, screw it." Like, what? I mean, it's not like. I didn't want to like put up too big of a stink because it didn't make me look selfish at the same time, you know. So well, I, I just want wanted them to know I was mad, but I was I was a team player. And once I realized that I wasn't helping the team out, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'll go down there." And I, I told them I was like, "My family's leaving." They worked with me, so I was like, "My family's leaving to go back home to go to school." So they let me stay at home and just drive when I was gonna pitch. So it wasn't like I was just stuck down there riding buses with them, you know. Well, and it, which it I did, I did well. do a couple times. Yeah, I did go with the kids, the the guys, a couple times, but just just be out of like because I I felt terrible by not just being there all the time around them, you know. Oh, you're I saying was going sent, on the bus I was trip? sent down. Yeah, so I mean, I was sent down. Like they let me stay and work out and train in, in Philly, then and then um, you know I would just go to drive to the whoever was at home basically. Like was AAA, it was at home. I'd go play there, or AA was at home. I'd go pitch there. So. So that that's kind of how they let me do it, so I could stay at home, basically. Well, obviously, you were pretty damn helpful in the uh, OA postseason as a starter. So, did you go up to Lidge at any point and be like, "You know what, dude? I didn't want you here, but if this all didn't work out <laughs> no. in this way, we might <laughs> no, not have I, World Series rings." Yeah, I, I would tell you that. So, in spring training, he hurt his knee that year, and I was like, "All right, I'm not happy that he got hurt. Trust me." But I was kind of like, "All right, they're going to give me a shot to be back in the in the as a closer. They're going to move me there." But he would made it back perfect perfect time for the season. So uh, I did have a little bit of thinking that I was because I w- really went into spring training wanting to be the closer still, and that was pretty selfish of me. Instead of just buying into what they really needed me for, and it took me, I guess, half a season to realize that that's what I wanted to do, and then. Towards the end of my career, when I ended up playing with AJ and, and the White Sox, I didn't want no part of that bullpen. The Astros put me in the bullpen after I threw 440 innings for them the past two years, and then new GM comes in, throws my ass in the bullpen at 32 years old. I'm like, I, I had hip surgery two years ago, dude. I don't know if I can bounce back like this, you know? Yeah, that's freaking crazy, man. I mean, and, you know, I would have thought most most pitchers would say – if they've done both, oh, I want to be a starter. I want my routine. Right. I want my situation. I want to be in control of one game. And that wasn't the case for you, at least for a certain point. Obviously, as you said, later yeah. on, eventually you were like, screw this. But there there was a point in your life where you were like, hey, I like the adrenaline rush and um, right. the closer vibes, right? Well, I just uh, – I I hated sitting around. Like I wanted, I wanted to play. I wanted a chance to play every day. 
I didn't really um, I, the four days in between makes you think too much. You know, at least if you're if you're relieving, then you can actually throw you can actually throw uh, have a bad outing and then re totally redeem yourself the next day. You know, that's crazy, man. Um, hey, take me back to some of the teammates that you were a part of um, that stood out the most too. Like, um, let, let's start with Philadelphia, obviously, and some of the characters that that you were you know able to play ball with. We talked about. Lidge, of course, in that storyline. But, you know, when you think back to your career, what are some of the moments and, and stories, especially that you maybe couldn't share back then that you're able to talk <laughs> about now? Oh, I, I, well, I don't I don't know if we're allowed to talk about any of those stories, quite honestly. I don't know how much he's <laughs> told about everything, like some of the stuff we do and everything. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, we had we had a great squad, man, like for, for um, in, in Philly and stuff. We I, I think that we. Um, I, I say we liked each other. Um, we want we all had the same goal to win, but I'm not saying that we were going out and having dinner together, you know, with with everybody. So there was when you're in a clubhouse with a guy, AJ can tell you this: you get tired of people's acts at times, and I know a lot of people are probably tired of mine and at times too. So um, it's just like it's like living with a person all the time. You're gonna need your space to get away from them, I guess. But uh. But when we stepped across those lines, it was a different story. Like everybody had the same goal and same um, mentality to try to win. I mean, AJ's been on teams like that as well. So, yeah, of course. Did you have teams like that eventually? Like, did you ever end up with a team where it felt more like, oh, these guys are then going to go, you know, hang out after the game? Uh, well, see, like, I guess. So um, for me, like, I, I learned probably the most when, like, after the game. Uh, good or bad so in houston we didn't have any alcohol in the clubhouse or or in the or on the plane or anything like that so like guys would go in there and change and be out of there and and uh so it was kind of like probably three or four of the veteran guys i guess you would say i'd bring a handle of tito's in there and hide it in my in my locker and we would just sit there and talk about the game and we think that we're like overstaying our welcome there but we were literally there for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour after home games and stuff like that to just talking about the game. And I think that that is gone in the game today. Like it, at least it started trending that way towards the end of my career to where like, I would like to sit there and have a few beers with the guys and find out what they're thinking or how they attack this guy. Or if I'm pitching the next day or something, just, just trying to learn and um, see what their experiences were out there and stuff like that or how we could get better and everything but i don't think that the game's talked about as much these days um because of and i, I wouldn't say that alcohol is the reason why we stuck around there but it dang sure made the time go a little bit quicker and be able to say some things that we probably normally wouldn't say do you feel like it was almost a you know a period of kind of being able to you know like put closure on whatever just happened and then move yeah. on and, and does yeah, that like, hurt to not have that? Yeah. So like it, it, it early in my career, I guess I, I was, uh, you know, I had Boa and Vukovic and them, and those are like old school guys, man. And, and, uh, which, I mean, I, I was a tough kid. I could handle whatever, but I, I remember coming in the clubhouse after maybe losing the game two to one or something like that. Nothing like, um, where like I had a pretty good outing, you know, but I'd come in and I'd laugh at somebody's joke. And then next thing I know, I got Vukovic yelling at me, like, what are you smiling at? You got your ass kicked yesterday. Like, I was like, well, I'm trying to put that behind me at this point, you know? And that, I think that like, I, sh I don't feel like I should have had to be thinking about that outing as much as instead of looking forward to the, to the outing. So, uh, or to the next one. So uh, I, I think that's like some of that old school ways and stuff is, is definitely gone. Um, but you got to be able to turn the page. I mean, you know, hitters have a chance to go or closers and stuff like that to, you know, you're only as good as your last at bat or your last outing type thing. But starters got to wait four days to figure out if they're going to be back on track or not. And I mean, it could mentally just wear you down and you could have three, four bad outings, which happened to me in 08 and just couldn't get myself mentally on track. Do you, uh, how long did you stay after the game on August 13, 2004? Were you, you had to be there for three or four hours after that game. Do you know what happened in that game? I have no idea. I was, I was 24 years old. Oh, oh, you mean when Borchard took me deep and I, you know, the record at, at no, whatever Comiskey? No, way, that, that way, way worse, way worse than that. Way worse? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. 
I took him D for a three run oh, homer. Shit. So oh, sat there. yeah. <laughs> See, exactly. <laughs> they, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. That's how much I didn't care about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do. Uh, I, I was uh, I was the guy like I didn't. They always tell you like solo homers don't beat you until you give up six. Well, I shouldn't have gave up a three run homer to you. But that was that. Um, did we play a double? Was that a makeup game that day? No, no, it was a regular game. I was with the Giants. So it was a, it was when I was oh. young. So you went oh. three innings, four hits, six earnings, five walks. Oh yeah, that was a pretty good outing. Five walks. <laughs> five walks. Better better clean that shit up. Yeah. But uh, no. yeah, no, it's, yeah. So Borchard, Borchard, were you were you with the White Sox? No, then? but that I remember that's a legendary home run that you. Uh, Yep, and up. I made it a point. I made it a point to end his career after that. Every time I faced him, I just struck him out every time because I was so pissed. I'm still mad about it. It was like 505 foot or something like that. I was like, well, I guess I was throwing hard enough for him to hit it that far. Yeah, he he's like <laughs> Joe Borchard did at whatever we used to be called U.S. Sailor Comiskey. Yeah, now it's called yeah. Guaranteed Right. He hit a ball up on the concourse. I think it's still the only one that ever went up. It there. is. It's still the furthest. I'm pretty sure. I've, I've heard somebody say it. Um, probably recently, I think, um, over the last few years, I think I've heard him still talking about that. So I'm like, yep, that was me. That was me. Well, you made his life. You really helped him out there. You know, Joe no, then he went for one thing. Yeah. Then he went to the Marlins and I faced him a lot. So I was, I was still pissed about it. I'd never forgot it. And I was just trying to strike him out every time just to, but I'd still, I still didn't win that battle. No matter how many times I struck him out, he still took me deep 500 something foot. <laughs> Hey, so I'm I'm also sitting next to, in addition to his name dropping skills, like a pretty good, you know, pranker, and um, mm. he enjoyed a good clubhouse laugh. So I would say, maybe if not the best, it's one of the most legendary pranks of all time. You know what I'm talking about? The yep. Kyle Kendrick story, which is you know perfect for this crowd on Legends territory. That also you know sometimes is a younger crowd that might not remember the story I've heard of it before is in 2008. Right. So I'll, I'll let you tell it and give us anything that, that we didn't know. Uh, about. So I got, I got approached by um, Comcast about, they wanted to prank somebody. And I was like, I don't know why, but they, they picked me. And I, I mean, I guess I probably was the right guy. Cause I used, I goof around and stuff and have a good time, but I was like, me and Madsen were probably the guys that would do it best. Well, Madsen didn't want a part, any part of it. So um, I was like, well, Kendrick was my locker mate. And he was, he just so green, so gullible, just believe anything, man. And so I was, they were like, do you have anybody in mind to do this to? And I was like, yeah, Kendrick will be the guy that for sure I can do this and to. And so it was just, uh, it took me probably two, three weeks to plan it out because I had to get, the GM on board, the traveling secretary. Um, and then I had the GM call his agent. Cause I'm like the first person he's going to call is his agent. And um, so, and I didn't, I didn't put together like who he got traded for, like all the documents and stuff was all the GM and the traveling secretary. Like they came up with everything. Like it made it look real as shit. Like I didn't know all that was going on. I just had the storyline together, tried to put things in place and, they took it a little bit f step further, I guess, to make it that good. Like Charlie was in on it. Like I, they all, like all they, they knew about all that stuff. So the paperwork stuff was all what Ruben and, and, uh, uh, Charlie and, and, and the Frank Copenbarger, traveling secretary did. And, and, um, so like who we got traded to and all that, that they all came up with that stuff. So, and, um, so like the day came of it going down and they, they did it all and like that. And we were just trying to, trying to play it off. I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I told anybody in the clubhouse what was going to, what was happening either. So they were all surprised by it too. Like I kept it pretty tight to my, to my chest to not let the cat out of the bag. And of course, the first thing he does is he calls his agent after, and his agent says, yes, it's true. And then come to find out down uh, like the next day or so, when he found out it was, it was, it wasn't true. It was, it was bullshit. He fired his agent. From, from what I heard, I was like, oh, man, now I feel bad for the agent or whatever like that. But, hey, man, you want to play – you got to play a game. And then it, this, then it blew up. Like, it was crazy. I had everybody calling me when they released the video of it and everything. And I didn't – I thought it was just going to be a, a little skit or something for people in Philly or something to see us having fun or whatever like that. 
next thing you know, we're on Good Morning America and everything. And I'm like, was it really that good? Like, I, I wasn't quite sure, but I mean, it, it Dankster took a lot of planning and a lot of timing, um, you know, a lot of time to try to put the, the steps together, but he fell for that too easy. I thought he was going to cry and I didn't know how long before I could tell him that it, that we were just kidding. Um, I wanted it to go on as long as I could, I guess, but it just, he, uh, I thought he was going to cry, man. It, like the media found out about it that day. They, they knew it, they knew it was fake. Um, like all the, when they when they asked him about going to Japan and stuff like that, and they they knew it was fake at that point. So so it was like I had to say something to him that he got punked or yeah, it was he. I, I read an article like I'm buddies with him. I talked to him you know a lot and everything like that. But I read an article a few years ago that he was still pissed off about it. <laughs> I'm like I'm like dude, like come on man, it's one of the greatest pranks ever. Ever. I know you look stupid on it, but. I'm, I, people are always going to remember your name now, <laughs> dude. It was brilliant, dude. It I played with him. Brilliant. It was viral. Before viral was a thing. Twenty fifteen yeah. or twenty sixteen with the Braves, he was in spring training with us, and we had dinner one night. And I asked him about it, and he, yeah, he's. He, I mean, he what? He he laughed about it, but there was <laughs> yeah. still some. Oh there yeah. There was still some he's bitterness still. in there, but he fired his agent. Sure. I can't believe. Yeah, why do you fire agent? Like your agent. I don't, that doesn't make I, it. Like, why would you fire her agent? His agent made him like like Brett said. That everybody contributed to yeah. Kyle yeah. elevating his name. Like it, yeah. It, his name is is more of a thing in baseball. Dude, he's a great guy, too, man. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, he no, is. I mean, now once I got to know him, I'm like, man, this. Yeah, he is a good. He is a good guy. Fall for that. Because they like traded for like so a young. hot dog or something. Wasn't it? it was like a yeah, hot well, like, they like kind of like sold Kobayashi. His how, how did you guys? Yeah. Oh right. You said they Kobe traded him for Kobayashi. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the hot dog eater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How is that even a th- wait? Wait, g- give me more context here. So it's not. It's not a thing. You can't get traded to Japan. So it's like he's, exactly. he did, but he didn't. He didn't know that. But he, I'm telling you, he was. He probably it was his. Uh, maybe he, he was just going in. Maybe his second year. He got called up the past year, and then his, this was going to be his first full season or something like that. Or and he came up and he pitched well for us. And then, and then uh, that spring training, they're like, "Yeah, we're going to trade you to the uh, your Murray Giants or some shit like that in Japan." And and um, and I had to tell him at the end he got traded for a hot dog eater because he didn't he wasn't he wasn't like he was just a he was a baby like he, you know he's like twenty twenty something years old and and he from Washington State I'm like so so like he probably <laughs> hasn't had had much like street smarts going on so so he was not. <laughs> He, it was the perfect candidate at the time. I, there was I, anybody else would have saw through that. They had to. They would have, but not him because he would just believe. He would believe whatever he's. He was trying to soak up all the big league atmosphere type thing and learn as much as he could. Well, I guess he learned not to trust me anymore. I would not be able to say with a straight face no. that you got traded <laughs> for the hot dog eating champ because I'm, I don't know how. First of all, I don't know how Charlie got through that. I don't know how Charlie I, got through it, man. What does that is even it, mean? Like I, I would. But even didn't that say the hot dog eating champ in the thing. He just said he got traded for Kobayashi. They didn't say. Oh, like, yeah, they didn't thing. say the hot dog part. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. You got traded for Kobayashi to the Giants. Yeah, and his face was priceless. He was just like he turned white yeah. as a ghost. And he's like, oh, what? The, yeah, what? the best thing was like. <laughs> The traveling secretary had the itinerary set up and everything with like times and dates, like when he needed to be the airport and all that other stuff. I'm like, oh my god, this is going just <laughs> just the way I planned it, just the way yeah. I wanted it to go. Like it was so believable. I honestly, I would have, I would have believed it too the way it was put together, man. I, Wait, were you in the room? Like, no, were you actually in so the, the office. Ca- no, the cameras were kind of hiding outside the door. I, I had no part of it when they were doing that stuff. We didn't even know he, like, I knew he was in there, but. I didn't know how it was going until I saw the video. Like when I saw the video, when they released it the the next day, my phone started ringing at like six o'clock in the morning saying, oh my God, what the hell? This is the funniest shit I've ever seen. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I was like, I didn't know. All they did, I think, released it on YouTube and played it back in Philly. And then, and then next thing I know, like Good Morning America's at the field, me and him are having to sit next to each other and talk about what's what went down and everything. And he's just pissed off the whole damn time. And I'm sitting there laughing my ass off. And I said, let me know when Victorino comes around. Cause he was the pie guy. I'm like, he's going to be showing up here in a second to pie me on, on TV or whatever to, I guess, get me back or something. But <laughs> damage was already done. 
Dude, that was early viral days too. Like yeah. you, you said, you mentioned YouTube. Yeah, it was put up there. Like YouTube started yeah. in 05. It really, you know, gained popularity more in like 06. Mm -hmm. So, and this is 08. Like this is early virality. Yeah, yeah. This is not, you know, like if this yeah. happened now to that extent and the way that you guys played it up, I mean, there have been pranks, but that was just yeah. so perfectly yeah. orchestrated. You, I don't think you guys realized how well that you pulled it off, which included, yes, no, I didn't. the right person. Yeah, I didn't. You know? Yeah, I didn't even know, like like I'm saying, going viral and how it went crazy. Like, there's people that still send it to me on videos, like on, um, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. They'll be like, oh, this is still hilarious. And I'm and I'm just like, what? Like, what the heck, man? Like, I, I mean, it's not, I think it's funny, but it, but it's still people still think it's funny and they're, or they're just now seeing it. They're like, oh, my God, you did this? I'm like, yeah, that, I did that 15 years ago, man. Like, like you're not, you're just now seeing it? That's kind of crazy, so. Well, you've got a whole generation now of yeah, younger fans new. that have yeah. never heard of it before, you know? Yeah. I, I I guess the point of, like, I don't think that people understood is that you couldn't get traded to Japan. So it wasn't like it wasn't like it was an actual <laughs> trade thing. You can't get traded to Japan. So so uh, so at the time, so I was I was like, I, don't, I, I thought people would see through that, but they didn't. And it, it worked <laughs> out perfectly. That is freaking hey, nuts. Hey, Brett, uh, speaking of pranks or things that went wrong in 2012 you get traded to the white Sox. remember you had a fu manchu that was like yeah it did yeah it, it was like this long right i mean it was like yeah. way, it was like six eight inches long okay yeah we have we also traded for kevin euclid that year and he came yeah. up with this brilliant idea everyone grow a mustache only a mustache yeah. for a playoff yep. push yeah he did. this son of a bitch yeah. trims his whole thing off it was like this long i mean yeah. it was way down here right euclid goes over four Shaves his mustache. And we're like, that's it? And he's like, yep, that's it. Yep, that's it. He said, damn, I was thinking he'd been going for like three years. Poor Brett Myers. Yeah. We're all like, oh, shit, he's going to be I pissed. didn't give a shit. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> you, you were pissed at the time. You're like, that son of a bitch. Yeah, I was like, I don't care. I was like, whatever. I, I was trying to do it. I was the new guy there. I didn't really know anybody too well. I'm like, all right, they've been here longer. So it's like, all right, he wants to do this shit. Okay, let's do the mustache, whatever. And then it, none of it worked out for anybody. So I was trying to, yeah, yeah. That's, that was we probably the great, last time I had chats, that. So. We yeah. had some great chats, though, after the game. We'd sit down and talk ball like he was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we get on I, the plane, sit in the back. Well, because actually, I mean, and he, that's what he was mentioning. So, you know, Philly kick back, then Houston, there was no alcohol in the clubhouse or on the plane. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason why we talked, but uh... – <laughs> I like, know, but like just create a, it, you know? a vibe. That's not abnormal where a guy, you know, right. guys kick back, have a beer, talk about the game. And I will say yeah. there's still a few there it's not much. Like he was saying, it's pretty much dead. It's yeah. still there yeah. a little bit in a few spots I've heard where it it's so rare, I think, now that it stands out a ton. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. a guy will be like, Yeah, it's cool. Like I went here and there's actually a few guys that'll like hang for a little bit and kick back, have a beer and talk yeah. about the game. Well, I mean, like I like you know, AJ plays in these golf tournaments, and you get to meet some of these older guys. Man, I was just with Old Can Boyd and and uh, Jim Rice and stuff like that, and and Sheffield, and because Sheffield's got a kid that's in uh, uh, that Colts, my oldest son's played with and against and stuff. So, and I played in the golf tournaments with him, just to, like listen to those guys talk about the game still, because I mean, AJ's getting getting being able to do it by talking to us, I guess every you know on this show and everything like that, but like. Well, I, there's nobody really for me to just sit down and talk to and have a beer with and talk about baseball, right? So, I'm, but they're home now. Like Travis Chapman's here, Brad Wilkerson lives up the street from me, um, and Willie Harris. So I get to talk to those guys a little bit when they get home. But when they're gone, they're they're doing their job, you know. So so you don't get that camaraderie, I guess, to to try because I've I've been trying to learn how the new all these launch angles and spin rate shit is, which I'm like. What does that even mean? Either the guy's out or, or 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 he's throwing 95, whatever, you know? Like you try to figure all that stuff out and ask these questions for these guys that are going through this stuff. Like Chapman was telling me the other day about how they want Judge to hit the ball on a 25-degree angle and some guys at 15-degree angle. I'm like, what? What the hell is that? like? You can how can he? How can you decide on what pitch is coming if how what angle you can hit the ball at? You know, and cer certain things like that. And then they're, they were like big on the exit velocity. Like if you hit the ball harder, you're going to get more hits. Well, no shit. <laughs> you know, like, like if I, I'm like, I don't know what else you want me to tell you with that one, you know. So, um, 
but I guess they just it's become an analytic game and and with these numbers and everything and I, I would I was getting really ticked off sometimes in the playoffs because the and and it's something AJ could probably help me with on this too so I'm I've come up to the realization why these pitchers these starters are going like four or five innings and they're not getting them around to the third time through the order because they feel like that's when the numbers go down well my personal belief is that when they come out inning one or first time through the lineup they've already shown them everything that they're going to try to get them out with come the second time and third time through the order like they're not kind of like saving something they've already shown them like okay this guy's weakness is inside they just kept pounding him in well these are big league hitters, man. At some point, they're going to make an adjustment and see how you're trying to get them out. They got videos and stuff over there, too. So, so like, for me, I was the guy that would try not to show them how I wanted to get them out in a as a starter in, in a certain situation with a guy on second or something like that. Like, I would just pump fastballs to Albert Pujols until there was a guy – until he had runners in scoring position. I, w- I didn't want to show him anything because, I mean, now he hit double after double that way, but – but I, I wasn't. I was. I didn't want him to hit the two or three run bomb off me down the road or in later innings, you know. So like, I, that's kind of the thing. When I watch these starters, they come out and they, it's like right off the bat. There's no. There's none of that establish your fastball type of stuff anymore, you know. No, well, it's changed because they're not developed that way. Also, Brett, you have right. to understand they're developed. And if you talk to the pitching coaches nowadays, they'll say, "Give me everything you got, first hitter." And yeah. you know, then you're start. You're you're throwing wipeout sliders the first hitter of the game. You're not like, okay, I'll, I'll paint one down away and get him to swing at a first pitch. Right. And, you know, give me a yeah. quick out. It's like, oh, no, let's throw slider, you know, and I get it. It's just not yeah. the way they're developed. It's just changed. And, and the third time th- through thing, it goes along with what you said. They've seen everything the first time, mm-hmm. two times through. So they're like, there's no surprise. You're like, oh, I can't save, like, my filthy slider for the right. third time through with the second right. and third. It just, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was like, so I was told in, in – uh, I had this question asked to me in A-ball – and the pitching coach asked me, he goes, uh, uh, what are you going to throw? What are you going to throw if, a, if you, the guy's a first pitch fastball hitter? I'm like, uh, a curveball. He goes, why? And I said, because he's a first pitch fastball hitter. He goes, well, why don't you just throw a well-located fastball away and let him get himself out in one pitch? Well, now it's kind of like the reverse of that, where the guy's like, oh, he's a first pitch fastball hitter. I'm going to throw him all these sliders and stuff like that and instead of like, trying to save that maybe you can get an early out i mean hitting hitting's not easy man it's not it's not easy especially with these guys stuff they got these days throwing 100 or if that's even legit but who knows i know the game evolves and training methods change but but um i think we just we just did it on on beer and and uh grit i guess <laughs> <laughs> acting like it's like you know so long ago it wasn't um the, yeah. on on the topic of judge though he did say you know um at the end of the season because for the yankees the expectations are high so right they freak out their fan base that right. you know they yep. had a 500 season where you know plenty of teams would take the success that they've had in terms of making it to the playoffs yes they haven't won since 2009 right. really the year after you guys won right but judge was mm-hmm. like hey we're gonna make some changes and he thinks that they're kind of analyzing things from a number standpoint, um, not in the right way. Yeah. Did you see, did you see Brian Cashman's tirade at the GM meetings the other day where he came out? I, I did I not. We have a, oh, okay. He was just like, we got to, I think we have a good fucking team. And just, it was, it was a lot more, <laughs> I would say juice than you'd usually see from a yeah. front office executive. Cause they're kind of going through it right now where there are people yeah. that are accusing them of, of not, um, not utilizing the right, analytics and the right communication tools to get things across from their R&D department. I found, so just from, just from knowing two guys that live literally five minutes from me for the Yankees, and it's not like insider trading information or whatever, but when Wilkerson got the job to Mm -hmm. be a hitting coach in, in uh, New York, like he said, there's three hitting coaches. He said, there's three guys. So, like, if you're having three different opinions and three different things coming at you as a hitter, I'm tell you right now, that's I can't do everything this guy's telling me if this guy's telling me something different. So that that usually doesn't work, you know. And it just in my experience with having different pitching coaches and stuff like that, you but know, the like other, everybody's going to say something different. Brett, I mean, this is what I because I you know I didn't play, but the coach, the, some of the coaches will say, well, some of us will connect with one dude. We've talked about this a little bit, yeah. right? You might no. No, no, no. I, 
I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, like no, yeah. you might hate one. To, you might be like, I love right. Brad, but I hate James. You know, so yeah. I'm gonna talk to Brad. So I'm just gonna yeah. ignore him. Well, it's see, then, like a then it's like, coach. then it's like, yeah, but then it's like you're stepping on the head dude's toes or whatever. Whoever the top dude is, you know, like I just want to listen to him. Fuck you over here, you know. Like it's just, it's just like it'd be a hard dynamic to try to keep everybody happy if you're, you know. But instead of just going, you know what, Brad played. In the big leagues, I don't think the other guys they had there did. So he's been through it. He knows it ain't easy, type of stuff. And and I like I don't. I'm not. It'd be like having three pitching coaches for me, man. Like I wouldn't know which one. To, that's going. This one's going to help. Now, if this one tells me one thing that helps me, and then this one's over here telling me something completely different in a completely different way, like I just think it needs to be dumbed down for the guys just to go play because obviously these guys are talented enough to make hundreds of millions of dollars and hit baseballs really fucking hard so like maybe some sometimes too much information is a bad thing yeah i agree that's the, the problem is is like what he said if you have two guys that aren't on the same page they have yeah. to be connected lockstep right so mm -hmm. and, and I, I went through a one year where the hitting coach was a hitting coach and then the assisting was the guy i wanted to talk to and the hitting coach got his feelings hurt yeah, because I didn't really want to talk to him. But I'm like, well, you're not speaking the same language. You're talking, right? You're talking two plus two, and I, we're talking calculus here. And you want to talk? You want to take? And I'm like, it's not. Let me just deal with this guy, and you go deal with the rest of them, and I'll be right. fine. And, and it, it makes it kind of awkward at times. But we're all big. We're big boys. Yeah, we're exactly. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I just, but I just feel like it would like create animosity towards each other. You know what I'm saying? Unless. Unless like those three hitting guys or three pitching coaches, whatever they got these days, but would all like be on the same page, like just saying, "Hey, this is what we worked on with him today," blah blah blah, or they're all sitting there listening to what this guy. I don't know. It just it just could be a confusing thing for me. Of course, I need everything dumbed down for me when needed as simple as possible. Like you're like you're coaching a seven eight year old. Okay, so like you just have to tell them <laughs> do this, do that. Like just dumb it down so I just don't start to overanalyze everything because that's usually when I when I would get in trouble start overanalyzing everything yeah you don't want it to all get into your head there's enough to worry that's about that's right you know right well well Brett it was awesome catching up with you man we appreciate, appreciate the you guys having great me. to have you on here um, keep doing your sure. thing in the music life too so we'll, we'll keep try. an eye on that in the meantime that'll work I appreciate you guys having me